0: Uh, this is a picture of our dog ozzy uh, so I don't know if you want to put that picture up uh, ozzy he is uh he is a rhodesian ridgeback he's 100 pounds right now and he's 10 months old so he's basically a hundred pound puppy and he's a good dog we really like him but he tends to get into trouble uh, one example of this is uh, a couple of months ago he jumped over the gate where he uh, stays and when we're gone He jumped over the gate and he got into a bag of flour. He opened the bag of flour and then he rolled in the flour and spread the flour all throughout our house. And so when we got home, uh, this is the picture of Ozzy. He's caught in the act and uh, my my kids thought one way to punish him would be to make him wear human clothing for a while. So here's a a picture. This was his punishment for spreading flour all over our house. Uh, Or another time he chewed through my backpack and then he chewed through my Bible case And then he chewed up my Bible, uh, proving that he is not a Christian dog. Um, He was raised in a Christian home, but not a Christian dog. Or or this past fall, uh, I found a baby bunny nest in our backyard. And my kids and my dog were very interested in these baby bunnies. Now, you can relax. Uh, He did not bite any of these baby bunnies. He's not that kind of dog. Uh, But he did swallow one. He swallowed it whole. He just... (laughs) inhaled it, and it was gone. And he was looking for more, and we stopped him after one. So obviously, he can get into trouble. I could tell you 20 examples of how he gets into trouble, but here's the question. Can he sin? Can Ozzy sin? If you ask my kids, after he swallowed a bunny, the answer is yes, he did sin when he did that. But before God, can he sin? Like, will God judge him? Will God judge Ozzy? for swallowing a bunny or anything that he does and the answer is no sin is unique to human beings trees don't sin sharks don't sin mountains don't sin but human beings sin we sin and we recognize sin in the world we look at the world and we say man the world is filled with sin we recognize the world is not the way it ought to be and that we are not the way we ought to be and one of the questions romans chapter 5 is going to answer is the question what is wrong with us what is wrong with the human race and he answers this question not to make us feel bad about ourselves but he answers this question to help us understand the glory and the greatness of what christ has done for us until we understand our problem it's very difficult to understand the glory of what christ has done for us through the cross now the key to understanding this passage is understanding the contrast between adam and jesus there's a deliberate parallel going on a deliberate contrast where paul is going to explain adam and then he's going to explain the person of jesus christ and so what do we need to know about adam and i need to warn you uh, we're going to have to do some thinking together this morning this is a tough passage there's a lot of information a lot of intricate arguments and so if you have your bible in front of you that will really help you you can follow along on the screen but i just want to encourage you to pay attention uh, to these verses. You need to be able to see what Paul is saying in the word of God. So what do we need to know about Adam? Well, there are four truths that make Adam unique in human history. In one sense, Adam is not like everybody else. He is unique in human history, four truths. One, Adam is the first son of God. He is the first son of God. I'm not saying, obviously I'm not saying the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ. I'm saying he is the first created person in human history. Luke 3.38 says, Adam was the son of God. He was not born, but directly created by God. He had no human father and no human mother. And Paul assumes you know this when when we arrive in Romans chapter five. Number two, Adam is a type. Adam is a type, verse 14. He, Adam, is a type of the coming one. Uh, the word type is where we get the theological category of typology. Typology. The Old Testament is filled with types, dozens and dozens of types. And Jesus is the anti type, he is the fulfillment of the type. Now, what does that even mean? Well, here's a picture. Uh, what is this a picture of? Can someone tell me? A shadow? A little doubt in your voices. I hear that. It is, it's not a hand, it's a shadow of a hand. It's a shadow of a hand. It's not the hand itself, but the shadow of a hand. And so types in the Old Testament are shadows. Jesus is the substance. He's the reality. He is the hand, and so God has filled up the Old Testament with shadows of his son, Jesus Christ. This means we are supposed to learn something from Adam about Jesus. Adam is a real human being who really lived, who really sinned, who died, He is a real person in human history, and we're supposed to learn something about Jesus from Adam that we can't really learn from anyone else. So what are we supposed to learn? Number three, Adam ruined everything with one sin. We are supposed to learn that Adam ruined everything with one sin. This is the key contrast that Adam ruined everything with one sin, and Jesus redeems everything through one act of righteousness on the cross. So in one sense, the Garden of Eden and the cross, there's this parallel, this this picture that through Adam, all died, and through Jesus, the work of Jesus on our behalf on the cross, all live. Now, how can the death of Jesus, this is one of the questions Paul's going to get to, how can the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, be applied to me? How how is that even possible? He lived 2,000 years ago. So how can... Something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago applied to me today, to us today. Well, Paul says, look at Adam. Look at Adam. Adam was in paradise with Eve. He lived in a sinless world in the Garden of Eden. He walked with God in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. And yet Adam and Eve fell into sin. And the whole world fell into sin with Adam. Adam ruined everything with one sin. And Paul really wants us to see this truth. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, verse 15, for if by one man's trespass, the many died, verse 16, and the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, verse 17. If by one, one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, verse 18. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. I'm going to read that again. This is at the very heart of what he's saying through one trespass there is condemnation for you for me verse 19 for just as through one man's disobedience the many not many but the many meaning all for just as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners we are made sinners through the one man's disobedience the point is clear one one sin by one man adam ruined everything now How can Adam's sin ruin everything? How can one man's sin ruin everything? Well, this is the fourth truth that makes Adam unique in human history. It's that Adam is the federal head of the human race. He is the federal covenant head of the human race. God has always and will always relate to humanity through a covenant, through covenants. God is a covenant making and covenant keeping God. And this is significant because most of us think about our relationship with God in a certain way. Most of us think about our relationship with God, that it's just me and God, that God just deals with me as an individual, and that's it. I'm an individual before God, it's just me and God, period. That's it. Now, it's true that God deals with you as an individual, and that's a glorious truth. But it, it is an incomplete picture. It is dangerously incomplete. It's not the whole story. And what paul is saying is that all of us are in adam all people we are in adam we are literal descendants physical descendants from adam adam and eve and through that one sin the sin of adam it affects the whole world now i think paul wants us to look at adam and say adam you you What did you do, Adam? That was terrible. How dare you cause the whole world to fall into sin? And so in one sense, we should be a little bit upset at Adam and at the exact same time, we should recognize if we were in the situation, we would sin as well. We would have failed in the exact same way. And so how should we think about Adam as our federal head? How should we think about Adam as our federal head? Well, Augustine, who lived in the fourth and fifth century, wrote extensively about Adam. And I'm gonna try to summarize his work, but what he talks about is how Genesis 2, 15 through 17 is the first covenant that God makes with human beings. It's called the covenant of works. And in this passage, he lays out warnings, the, the warnings against disobeying God, what God is asking of Adam and the human race to do and a variety of other things. And a summary of the covenant of works, you could sum it up this way. Obey me about the tree and live. This is what God says to Adam. Obey me about the tree and live. Disobey me and die. So that, that, that's the stipulation. He goes, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's what I want you to do, rule over all things. Have dominion over all things. And this one tree in the, in the Garden of Eden, you can't eat from it. All the other trees, have at it. One tree, can't have it. If you obey me, you live, you disobey me and die. And from this, Augustine says that Adam obviously had two abilities. The first ability in Latin, this is what he says, he says that Adam had passe pecare, passe pecare. It means the power to sin. Adam had the power to sin, the the possibility to sin. And he also had passe non pecare. He had the power not to sin. He had the power to sin and the power not to sin. And therefore his second ability is that Adam had passe more, the the power to die. And he had passe non more the possibility or the power not to die so in his hands what adam had was the power to obey god the power to disobey he had, and therefore he had the power to die and the power to live and augustine makes this point i think it's an important point because he's pointing out that in god's design sin and death were not necessary that when god made adam and eve uh, he didn't build adam and eve with sin already in them. That's not, they had the potential to sin, and they had the potential to die, but they were not born into sin. That death in some ways, sin in some ways, is totally foreign to, the human, to a human being. And God made Adam our federal head, our representative, who had the possibility to obey, possibility to sin, the possibility to live, and the possibility to die. And as we all know, he sinned, and therefore he died. And what Paul is teaching us is that we died with him. Or we sinned with him and therefore we will die with him. This is the picture. Now you might be wondering, in your your mind, you might be wondering, how is it possible that Adam, our federal head, he sinned and it, it impacts us? Well, think about Eve. I think this is the most helpful way to think about it. Think about Eve for a moment. Who was the first person to sin in the Garden of Eden? Someone tell me. Who was the first to sin? Eve. Eve. She took the fruit and she ate it. But why didn't sin come into the world through Eve? It's because Eve was not the federal head. Adam was. You know, imagine for a second, obviously I'm not doing this hypothetical exercise, imagine if I declared war on a country today. If I say, I declare war on, fill in the country, Spain. I declare war on Spain. What does that mean for you? Does that mean anything? No, doesn't mean anything. But what if our federal head, the United States government, What if Congress declares war on Spain? What does that mean for you? You are at war. And see, in the Garden of Eden, our federal head, Adam, declared war on God. He disobeyed God, he said, no, I will be God. And the sin of Adam spread to all of us. And so what happens when Adam sinned? What what happened in the world and what happened to Adam and what's happened to us? Well. There are a number of things to notice. First, it's that sin entered the world through Adam. That sin, Adam opens the door to sin and sin came in. Verse 12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, sin entered the world through one man. This means that we inherit Adam's sinful nature. We inherit Adam's sinful nature. All people are created in the image of God. That is the foundation of our dignity and value as a human being. We are created in the image of God and we are created in the image of adam genesis 3 5 adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness according to his image and named him seth and so this means that human beings were created in the image of god and created in the image of adam we have a sinful nature that we have inherited from fallen adam and because of this, we gravitate towards sin from birth. This is how we are wired. The factory settings on a human being, we're bent towards sin. From the womb, we are bent towards evil. Evil. That means that babies, I love babies. We have a lot of babies in the church. And that's a beautiful thing. I love babies. We should have as many babies as we can. It's a glorious thing. And they're created in the image of God. And they're worthy of being treated with immense love and care and concern. And they're sinners. Little babies from the womb, they come out of the womb bent towards evil. Doesn't matter what type of home you grow up in, it doesn't do away with the sinful nature that is in us. And as kids grow up, they do grow up, no doubt about that, but they don't grow out of their sinful nature. Not until the day we see the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in us. We are hardwired to sin. I remember several years ago, I was giving one of my boys a ride to practice and um, He goes dad can i ask you a question He was probably like six at the time i said sure you you can ask me anything and he says dad um when you're driving why do you always talk to other drivers on the road like why do you do like he he goes dad they can't hear you like they 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 can't hear you and in that moment i realized that my entire driving career i have been talking to other drivers on the road and i'm not thanking them like i'm not thanking them for their driving excellence (laughs) i'm not complimenting the way that they turn i'm not like wow Incredible, that was incredible. That, you, the way you changed lanes, that was incredible. That's not what's happening. I'm, I am complaining about them naturally. That's what I'm doing. I'm blaming the guy driving or the girl driving, wondering why God created them in the first place. Like, why, God, did you put this person on planet Earth? I mean, that's, that's the way my heart is wired. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's the way that I'm bent. And the reason I bring this up is because up until that point in my life, I, I, w- I don't even think I was aware that I was doing that. It wasn't until my little son, my little boy goes, why are you doing that? And then I realized, oh my goodness, I've been doing this for like 20 years. <laughs> my, my whole driving career. And see, there are sins that we know about in our life. All of us, we get up on stage and say, hey, this is, this is where I'm tempted to sin. And at the same time, we have to realize there are probably other areas in our life that we're not even aware of where we are off. And it's because we live in a sinful world and our hearts have been infected with sin. I mean, it's just all around us. So sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't even see our own sinfulness. And when a child is born, lying is in them. Where does lying come from? It's in the baby. Foolishness is in their heart. Envy bitterness adultery rage murder the list goes on it's all in them it's not that anything it's not that other people or situations put it inside of them it's in us because we are descendants of adam secondly it means that we inherit adam's guilt so we in, we inherit adam's sinful nature and we inherit adam's guilt verse 12 therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and this way death spread to all people because all sinned. He didn't say, "in all will sin, that's not what he says. I mean, all, all will sin, no doubt, but that's not what he says. He says, because all sinned. How did that happen? We sinned in Adam. We all sinned in Adam. This is a statement about our identity. Verse 19, for just as through one man's disobedience, so do you, do you have Adam in the Garden of Eden in your mind? Through his disobedience of eating the fruit from the tree, For just as through one man's disobedience, the many, not many, the many, meaning all, were made sinners. The guilt of Adam was imputed to us. So that we are made sinners through his sin. So we don't become sinners when we sin. That's not what happens. We are sinners and therefore we sin. Psalm 51 5 indeed I was guilty when I was born this is what David says I was guilty when when I sinned no no I was guilty when I was born I was sinful when when my mother conceived me from the moment of conception but I haven't committed any sin sin of Adam imputed to us number two death entered the world and spread to all through sin so sin enters through Adam and then death sin and death spread to all people verse 12 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people. So so it's not just Adam. It's not just a few bad people. It's all of us. It spreads to all of us. Number three, therefore, death reigns over Adam. Death reigns over Adam. Death reigns over fallen humanity. Verse 17, if by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. What is the culture of fallen human being? What, what reigns and rules over human beings? Death. Death reigns. Now what does that mean, that death reigns? Well, Augustine says this. He says this is our condition now. Non passe non pecare, no power not to sin. And non passe no more, no power not to die. What does it mean that death reigns? Non passe, no, non pacare no power not to sin, we will sin. And non passe, no more, therefore no power not to die. Death reigns, death reigns. Condemnation reigns, judgment reigns. And I think Paul writes this way to bring us to, to, to a, a place of despair. I think like, he's like he's making this argument to bring us down so we understand the nature of our condition, to understand the nature of the problem. Now. As Paul is writing this, he anticipates a response from a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience would have said something like this. Okay, Paul, we understand we all sinned in Adam, but, but, didn't Moses, didn't the law come through Moses? And didn't Moses say to the people of Israel, today I present to you both life and death, choose life. And wasn't he talking about the law? You bet. So can't we get out of our our condition as sinners in Adam through the law? Well, Paul responds, verse 20, the law came the law came along to multiply the trespass. The law came along <clears throat> to multiply the trespass. Now, you gotta pay attention here to what he says. He doesn't say the law came along to multiply trespasses. The law came along to multiply the trespass. Why does he say that? He's, he's giving us a little pointer back to verse 14. Nevertheless... Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. So think with me here. we got to pay attention to his argument. This is what he's saying. From Adam, so all the descendants of Adam, from Adam to Moses, did not sin like Adam. Why? Because God directly revealed to Adam exactly what he wanted him to do. He said this, "He says, here's the covenant of works, this is what I want you to do, this is what you cannot do. He had divine revelation from God. After Adam, humanity did not have divine revelation. At least maybe a little bit here, a little bit there, but it didn't, he didn't reveal himself like he did with Moses. And so they sinned, the law was written on their hearts, they still sinned against God, but it wasn't revealed to them until Moses came. And remember what God did with, with Moses? in the nation of israel and this is fascinating to me because exodus 4 god says israel is my first born son adam is the first son of god israel is the first born son of god and so here's the logic adam first son of god equals sin israel first born son of god sin multiplied This is the idea that sin multiplies. So God reveals himself in the Ten Commandments. After he saves Israel from Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai, and God speaks to the nation of Israel, and he gives them the clearest revelation of his law that the world had ever known. But what did Israel do? Did they humbly submit to God in in obedience? Nope, Moses goes up on the mountain, he comes down and he finds them dancing around a golden calf still committing idolatry and so he's saying listen if you think that through the law comes salvation from the sin of adam he goes no way think about the story of israel it's through moses it's through moses in the giving of the law that sin simply multiplies. so that those who come after moses who have the the divine revelation from god they sin like adam it's like it makes you more accountable because you know more the nation of israel knew more they had divine revelation, and they kept sinning, and so the law can't redeem you. The law can't redeem you. So look at verse 20 again. He says, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, this is what I would have written, where sin multiplied, wrath multiplied. Somebody writes. But where sin multiplied. So do you see the picture? From Adam comes sin to the whole world, the first son of God. From Adam comes sin that goes to the whole world. What about about the firstborn son of God, Israel? What comes from them in in the law? Sin multiplies. It just increases. It's just filling the world more and more. So what would God's response be? Well, in my mind, I'm like, that means God in his wrath will rise up and crush sin. But look what he says. But we're sin multiplied. If you want to know the character of God, here it is. We're sin multiplied. Grace multiplied even more. So how did God meet us at the height of our sin by multiplying his grace. His response to a depraved, broken, sinful world is to multiply his grace towards sinners. This means that Jesus Christ, when Jesus comes into the world, it is right for the Apostle Paul to call Jesus the grace of God, like in Titus chapter 2. He is the overflow of God's grace towards sinners what do we need to know about jesus first jesus is the true son of god the first son of god adam failed the firstborn son of god israel failed so god sent his one and only son into the world for us to do for us what we can never do for ourselves to succeed where adam failed to to succeed where israel failed number two jesus did not inherit the guilt or sinful nature of adam jesus did not inherit the guilt or sinful nature of adam why because jesus is not a son of adam he's not a son of adam he had no human father this is why the virgin birth matters jesus the right way to think about jesus is that jesus is the seed of the woman and the son of god but not a son of adam the guilt of adam gets passed down through fathers the sinful nature gets passed down through fathers but Jesus had no human father he is the seed of the woman and the son of God Genesis three fifteen. this is what we see all the way back in the garden after Adam's sins God makes a promise he says but I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring her seed and this descendant this child the seed of the woman he shall bruise your head speaking to the serpent that that this, this man, the seed of the woman, the Son of God, would crush the head of the devil. And the devil, you, shall bruise his heel. You will injure him in the process. And so Jesus is the true Son of God who came into the world to destroy the works of the devil, to get back everything that we lost in Adam plus more. He is the seed of the woman and the Son of God. Number three, Jesus is the federal head of, new, of the new humanity. Jesus is the federal head of the new humanity. He is utterly unique in human history, Jesus Christ. And he serves as another federal head. There's, Adam is one, Jesus is the other. This is why the Bible says that every person is either in Adam or in Jesus. You're either fallen in Adam or you're redeemed in Jesus Christ. He is the new federal head, the covenant head. Verse 18 says, so. Then. As through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. Did you hear that? Through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also, here's this point, through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. Now, why does Paul say one righteous act, referring to Jesus? I mean, didn't Jesus do tens of thousands of righteous acts? Of course he did. But Paul is drawing attention between the contrast, Jesus at the cross, Adam in the garden Jesus at the cross Adam at the garden he wants us to go there in our minds and so this week I made a list of 30 ways you can compare the Garden of Eden to the cross I'm not gonna give you 30 I'm just gonna give you a couple but these are my favorite the first Adam in the Garden of Eden Adam was in paradise he was in paradise when he was tempted to do evil he was in paradise the weather was perfect He had his bride by his side. He walked with God, he had the ability to walk with God. I mean, it says that he was naked and felt no shame. He had nothing to hide, nothing nothing to be afraid of when it came to his walk with God and his relationship with Eve. But what about Jesus, the second Adam? What about Jesus at the cross? Well, he was at hell, he was in hell. Not literally hell, but as close to hell as you can get on planet Earth. I mean, think about the story. Uh, Satan has, has possessed Judas to betray Jesus unto death. He's been betrayed. He's abandoned by all of his friends. He goes to trial before Pilate and Herod, wicked men. He's tortured by Roman soldiers. He's condemned by the Jewish elite. He is treated like an animal. They pulled out his beard. They punched him in the face and they nailed him to a cross. The entire time, being scoffed at, mocked at, hated, he stripped naked in front of them, humiliated in every way. It says, it is as close to hell as you can get, and this was the hour of his great temptation. Next, God says to Adam in the garden, obey me about the tree and live. Obey me about the tree and live. But God says to his son at the cross, obey me about the tree and die. Though Jesus is righteous, he goes to the tree in obedience to his father, not because the situation got out of control, but because he wanted to glorify, honor, and obey his father. And so the father says, obey me, son, about the tree and die. Adam, the sin of Adam produced thorns, a world filled with thorns, God did not curse work in the garden but he cursed the ground so that the ground produces thorns thorns are the symbol of the curse thorns are the symbol of the curse and it came because of adam's sin but think about jesus the obedience of jesus produced a crown of thorns on his head a crown of thorns on his head that a crown was the sign and the symbol of the greatness of the king The greatness of the kingdom but what crown did Jesus wear he wore a crown of thorns it was the sign of being cursed why why was he cursed I mean the Bible is clear he was cursed at the cross Galatians 313 Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us he was cursed he wore the sign of the curse on his head in his crown of thorns Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The writers of the New Testament described the cross as a tree that we might understand the relationship to to the Garden of Eden, and that Jesus was tempted there. And yet at the cross, being totally righteous, he wore a crown of thorns because he was being cursed. He was being cursed for us. Why? That we might know the blessing of God forever. To be a Christian is to be blessed by God forever because Christ was cursed for us. Or think about Eve, the bride of Adam. Where did Eve come from in the story? Eve, the bride of Adam, came from his side. Whereas Jesus, he was pierced on his side. Why? To atone for the sins of his bride. And you think about the story, the contrast in the story you think about the way that adam led eve he stood there next to eve as his wife was being tempted by the devil and he stood there like a coward he didn't say a word and after eve sinned and adam sinned god called adam to give an account did he take responsibility for what happened no way he says god the woman you gave to be with me she gave me the fruit and i ate he blames her he throws her under the bus whereas jesus He takes responsibility for the sins of his bride. And he dies for his church. He's pierced in his side. From Adam comes sin, death, and condemnation for the world. From Jesus comes righteousness, life, and justification for the world. Because of Adam, death reigns. Because of Jesus, grace reigns. The future, our future as Christians, forever, the future of the universe, is a universe where grace, the grace of God, reigns. Not our sin, not wrath, not grace, or not, not death, but the grace of God. Grace reigns. So how should we think about these things? I mean, what do we do with this information? I mean, these are marvelous truths that we should consider. And there's so much to say but we're running out of time. So I'm just gonna give you a couple quick thoughts. First, everyone is either in Adam or in Christ. So when you think about the world and you think about how God has set up the world, you need to understand that the whole world, everyone in this room, every one of you right now, you are in Adam or you are in Christ. You're part of fallen humanity or the new humanity. You're on your way to hell or you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Everyone naturally is in Adam. You were born into Adam, but to but to be in Christ, you need a new birth. Sin and death are automatic in the fallen world. But in order to enter the kingdom of God, to get that new birth, you must receive Christ as Lord and King. Romans five seventeen. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ I love this verse because it describes what what it looks like to become a Christian what does it mean to become a Christian what does it look like what it means I love this description it's that we receive the overflowing grace of God (laughs) it's not about earning anything it's about what how do you become a Christian you, receive, you recognize Christ as the overflowing grace of God. You recognize the death of Christ on the cross for us as a place where our redemption was accomplished and you simply receive the overflowing grace of God into your life. You receive the gift of righteousness. And it, it is a tragic reality that mo- most people in the world would rather go to hell than bend their knee to Christ. What a tragic reality that most people on planet Earth, they will hear about the new life that's in Christ. They will hear about the grace of God demonstrated for them at at the cross. And they say, I will not bend my knee to him. I don't want him to be king. I don't want him to be Lord. I I want to live life on my own terms. And they will die and go to hell. But Christians are people who, by the grace of God, see the overflowing grace of God for us in Christ, and we bend both knees. We just fall down before Him and we receive the gift of eternal life. We receive the gift of righteousness. And so I just want to ask you this morning: are you still in Adam or are you in Christ? Have you turned from your sin and embraced Christ as Lord, Savior, God, and King? Do you see Christ as the grace of God? Number two. Thought number two. It's that we gain infinitely more in Christ than we lost in Adam. It's not just that Jesus in Christ, it's like we get back to even, like Adam sins and we went down, and now in Christ we kinda of get back to even. That's not what it is. The, the argument Paul is making is that we gain more, infinitely more in Christ than what we lost in Adam. This, this is the triumph of God's grace for sinners. It is the triumph of God's grace for sinners. I was thinking about the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, this week. I know it's not the Christmas season, uh, so I, but I, I hope I can read this line from Joy to the World. But I think it captures what Isaac Watt is getting at here. This is, what, this is what it says. He says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So everything that sin destroyed, the the curse of sin, um, everything that sin has destroyed through Adam, we get back and more in Christ. Namely, we have been made righteous. We are a new creation. We are new in the Lord. We are guaranteed eternal life. And Augustine, thinking about this question, how much more do we gain in Christ over what we lost in Adam? He just summarizes that, the answer this way. He says, what is our future like? He says, it is non passe pecare. In the new heavens and the new earth, you will have no power to sin. And therefore, it is non passe more, no power to die. It is eternal life forevermore. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for what you